You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. We're here for this week's Know Your Foe episode of the New York Giants game. 
looming up at the Meadowlands. And here to talk Giants with us is Bobby Skinner of Talking Giants. Bobby, how you doing? I'm good. I've uh, been looking forward to this game. You know, the, we talked with you over the summer when the Giants hired Wink Martindale. So glad to jump on and talk talk Giants Ravens. Hopefully, hopefully it's a little better for us on the matchup than the 2020 uh, battle. But it's uh, it's always good to talk ball. Absolutely. Uh, and you're at Bobby Skinner underscore on Twitter. We want to make sure we get that in there for folks if you want to go look at his uh, his material there and talking Giants. Uh, so let's get right to it. Uh, in terms of, of the offseason for the New York Giants, uh, talk a little bit about the biggest moves and uh, and some of the other uh, things that went on during the offseason, whether it's trades or, or or the draft. Yeah, well, the Giants were stricken for cap space, and then you get a new GM, so they're not trying to you know rework a bunch of deals to create cap space. So there weren't any huge moves in free agency. One of the, I think the one of the more impactful ones, though, and I didn't see it coming when it happened, was actually been Jihad Ward. Mm-hmm. who has stepped in and been a really good, you know, uh, run run defender at the edge. He really adds almost nothing as a pass rusher, but as a run defender, he's been really good setting edges, disengaging blocks, and, and doing his role. Um, but really through the draft now, the players drafted have not really come along great so far. Evan Neal has been uh, struggling. Kayvon Thibodeau is, is starting to come along. He missed the first couple games with injury, but he's starting to get some pressure. Um, you know, we're, you know, using his speed and he's working a little more speed to power. And then there's been a lot of injuries, uh, other additions. Richie James has been our starting slot receiver, who, again, that was a when that signing was made. Not not much was thought of it, but because of injuries, he's been thrown in there. And then the other one that would I, I'd say Jalen Smith, Jalen, not even an offseason move. Guy was mm-hmm. signed a few weeks ago. Jalen Smith has moved in as that starting will linebacker and has made a really significant impact and an improvement over what the Giants were uh, fielding the first couple of weeks of the season. Hey, Jalen, a great player with Dallas there for a, for a while. Big big draft for the Giants because they had 11 picks, as I recall. 11 picks. Now, I think three of those guys tore ACLs. Huh. Um, Wandale Robinson, he may pre- play this week, but he hasn't. he's played one series and then got injured with an MCL sprain. He could be back this week, but I think they might bring him back in slowly because Richard James has done an all right job in the slot. Uh, Cordell Flott, third round pick injured. Josh Azudu, third round pick as a guard, has been on the bench uh, and kind of rightfully so. He's not ready. Um, and then Micah McFadden was playing a little Will linebacker out of Indiana. A great fit for Wink Martindale, but with the emergence of Jalen Smith, he's uh, he's taken more of a bench role. Uh, Wink loves his outside linebackers. I know the, the the two guys at the top of the draft for the Giants, number five and number seven, uh, having uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and uh, Neil, uh, were two of the highly coveted people for the Ravens in terms of of who Ravens fans wanted to have before the draft. A lot of people wanted a left tackle. A lot of people wanted a pass rusher. Uh, the Giants got two of the best. Yeah, that was uh, very fun to have two picks in the top seven. Now, um, I'm glad where the Giants are now, and I'm not worrying about how high our pick is going to be. It's just mm-hmm. whatever it lands, it lands. Um, Evan Neal is, is coming along slowly. Uh, but our offensive line coach, Bobby Johnson, who came uh, came with uh, from Buffalo with Brian Dable, he is very – he does not set his tackles vertically. He, they are very much aggressive, you know, 45 jump set, like aggressive pass sets. And Evan Neal's had a hard time. He seems to be playing from behind a lot, and he's had some issues with that. So he's been he's he, they've they've tailored the offense to run a lot of play action and kind of avoid some of the offensive line issues outside of Andrew Thomas at left tackle, who's been a stud. 
Um, and then Kayvon Thibodeau missed the first couple games, but you can see like, okay, this guy, I don't know what his what level he'll reach, but it's like, okay, there's a reason why this guy's highly drafted with his get off, his ability to work speed to power. Yeah. Still he's still looking for his first sack, right? Yeah, looking for his first sack. Got a lot of pressure versus Green Bay. Um, but Rogers got the ball out very, very quickly, especially in the first half of that game. And then, you know, helped create a sack for Dexter Lawrence uh, during the game and, and was definitely creating pressure throughout the game. All right. Outstanding. Well, the Ravens, you may get Ronnie Stanley if he's if he's rushing on the rush side. Tibbet has been a, a naked tackle guy or has he been on, a, on the same side more for a wink? They do rotate them. He plays uh, more towards uh, the Sam side, but they've been playing. They they've been playing both. Uh, you know, him Ward, O'Shane on both, uh, flipping them on both sides. Mm-hmm. All right, outstanding. Uh, long run cap situation. You said it was a somewhat cap constrained team going into the offseason? Yeah, I mean, essentially had none. In fact, they had to cut players like James Bradbury, who was a very solid player, mm-hmm. uh, who's doing really well for the Eagles. Uh, they made some other. They they wanted to start a, f- a fresh too, like Logan Ryan. They saved no cap savings on him, but they ended up cutting him. Uh, you know, they cut Blake Martinez in camp because he wasn't really vibing with Wink Mar- uh, Martindale. Um, I think there were some behind the scenes issues between the two where they just didn't gel. Uh, whether that's personality wise or the fact that Wink doesn't give the green dot to the linebacker and sometimes will take the linebacker mm-hmm. off the field. Uh, but something didn't fit there, and they just had to, re- you know, restructure a Leonard Williams contract, restructure a Dora Jackson contract, and the biggest contract they gave out was to Mark Lewinsky, who was a three-year, eighteen million dollar deal, and even then, that was a little backloaded because they were, I mean, they were in real, real cap issues. Yeah, oh, we're familiar with that. Certainly in Baltimore, lots of cap issues here, and and the Ravens have almost no room to maneuver, even to make a, just a few simple in-season signings at this point. Apologize for the dog in the background, but we'll work right through this. Uh, anybody coming up in a key developmental year that the Ravens, uh, sorry, the uh, Giants may extend early? Uh, somebody after three years, maybe, uh, who's looking at a, at an early contract extension? So Andrew Thomas. Uh... You know, he struggled his rookie year, but went on a, on a, like a very upward trends in the last eight games of the year. Um, he played awesome last year in pass pro while dealing with an ankle issue. And this year he's taken even a step forward in his pass pro and has been a really good run blocker where last year, his year one, even through his struggles was a very good run blocker and some more gap stuff, you know, more bully ball, less tech technical stuff, but he's gotten a lot better in that area this year where last year, I, because of some of the issues on the rest of the offensive line, it was a lot of one-on-one blocking, you know, just block the edge, you know, not not much bullying, you know, working a down block on a defensive tackle. Um, but this year, they've done some different things with the run game. He's looked good in there. That definitely will probably be one. Xavier McKinney could be one, but I could see them waiting because of the safety position. And in Wink Martindale's defense, he's still playing well, but he's not going to get the same numbers that he got last year in a more too high, you know, where, you know, safeties are jumping on plays uh, system. And then one who's been – he got his fifth-year option picked up, so he's actually in year four, but Dexter Lawrence. hes mm-hmm. He was always a good player, and this year he has taken a step forward to like an awesome player that's you know, one of the best defensive tackles in football. Like he's been a huge difference maker, especially with Leonard Williams out. He's taken on a big load, having the two-gap in the run game a ton, and he's really stepped up to the challenge and started putting some stats to the – you know some box score stats to some of the pressures he's uh, generated in his career. It's it's great to be at this part uh, 
point with a lot of young players where you have to make choices and and it's it could be heartbreaking because the Ravens have certainly been through this and having more players than they can sign who are getting that that fourth year and into their fifth year where they end up losing them but the, but the difference is that um if you're one of the teams that just has less in terms of total talent you dra- you draft you end up having to sign a, a you know a bad player to to or, or a lesser player or you have to go to the free agent market even worse and 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 go get that player. So while well, it's heartbreaking to lose these guys, it's great to be in that position. Well, I think with the Giants, it's a good place because they're not probably not going to lose any of these guys because they have not extended a draft pick since Sterling Shepard was extended in the 2019 offseason. He was a 2016 wow. draft pick. They have not had one one rookie's contract extended since then. So they're they're in a healthier cap situation going forward. Um, where really the only the guys that are on expiring deals that could be extended are Saquon Barkley, mm-hmm. which that will be fascinating because he's playing awesome. But obviously, there's a lot that goes into the running back position. He's had an injury history, and then maybe Daniel Jones if he continues some upper. He's played 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 well the last three games. Um, if they want to do that, but I I could not see them giving him any type of big deal anyway. Like there there's. The max he would get would be a franchise tag. Like I don't see him getting anything more than a one-year contract at most. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Giants are kind of in a good situation where they're going to be healthier cap-wise going forward, and the young guys that they ha- that can extend are still have years on their deal. You know, Andrew Thomas, first-round pick, has two years after this. Xavier McKinney has one year after this. Dexter Lawrence has one year after this. So, the, uh, you know, Julian Love could be an expiring, but that's a cheaper depth type signing. So. Mm-hmm. They've uh because they've been so bad, they're in a good situation where they can resign their good players. All right. Well, Xavier McKinney, uh, he was a player. We, the Ravens ended up drafting Patrick Queen, but he was the guy I really wanted at that pick. And I know Xavier McKinney was hurt his first year, which was kind of a bummer. But then he had a big five interception year in year two, I, as I recall it. And the you know Patrick Queen has had his problems for a couple of years. He he got his first interception on Sunday night. Uh, had a lot has had a lot of problems with multiple elements of of playing inside linebacker for the Ravens. So uh, anyway, we we become jealous of each other's players as we go through the draft and and uh, and time develops. Yeah, there's a I, I loved a lot of the guys you guys drafted this year. I, I was a bigger fan of Daniel Falele than mm-hmm. most people. My worry was like, can he stay on the field with his weight at that? Uh, Travis Jones was a player we really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one other player that you guys drafted in the mid rounds that I really, really I not not I David Ajabo in round two. I mean, a lot David Ajabo I like, but obviously yeah. the injury there. Yeah. there. I feel like there was one other player that you guys picked up that I really liked. Uh, Alabama corner, uh, uh, JAD, Jalen Armour Davis. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of who who it would have been because when they traded one of the threes, well, we named the two and the three. They, they had six fours then that they had, and and yeah, and you guys have like a million picks every year. Two tight ends, picks. either likely or uh, or uh, Kolar. Cole Kolar, I really like yeah. Charlie Kolar out of Iowa State. That's who it was. Yeah, so he's he's been on IR. He hasn't played it down yet for the Ravens either in the preseason or or during the regular season, which is unfortunate. But uh, uh, Isaiah Likely, who they drafted ahead of him, uh, has uh, been. I'm sorry, they drafted behind him. They drafted Kolar earlier, yeah. Uh, Isaiah likely had been really good during the preseason, hasn't done much during the regular season so far. So uh, being kind of a designated receiver, not really a blocker. Right. Even though the Ravens use a million tight ends, uh, they're literally the heaviest personnel, and we'll get a chance to talk Ravens on, on your show in, in a few minutes, uh, heaviest personnel in recent years. There's, there's literally, it may have been decades since a team has played as heavy as the Ravens do. Uh, 
But even with all those tight ends playing, he, he still plays a fairly limited number of snaps, snaps for the Ravens. All right, let's move on. Let's talk Daniel Jones here in terms of his strengths and weaknesses, how his game is progressing. So his strength is overall accuracy. Uh, his weaknesses have been maybe some feel in the pocket, manipulating the pocket. The thing I've noticed the most this year is I, I think they are putting an emphasis on imp- a little more improvisation to his game. You know, you bring in Dable from Buffalo and, and Kafka from Kansas City, and those are two quarterbacks that like to improvise. So you've seen him throw a lot more on the run than he has in past years, and he's not just running on design running plays, but, you know, they've run a lot of heavy personnel and, and two-man routes. Well, a lot of times those get covered up, and he's been able to run and, and salvage a lot of those plays. So I think that's where he's grown. The first two weeks, it looked like it was he was on for a very rough year, even though the the statistics, the stats weren't horrible. Um, you know, they haven't been putting – I mean, they're the 31st passing offense as far as yards, so the yards have been really bad. Just didn't – for the first time, I thought he just didn't look comfortable. Like, there was times where he was bad. Like, his rookie year where he put up all those touchdowns, I'd never seen a guy be more comfortable in the pocket, like was getting lit up play after play after play. But it was like it just seemed he seemed unfazed by it. Um, this has been a lot more of a horizontal offense with a lot of crossing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He's worked in Jason Garrett's, which was very much isolation routes. Um, and then Pat Shermer, his rookie year, which was more vertical, you know, half half uh, field reads. So he looked but he's looking to come into it a little more. Um you know, uh, the running game has helped. So he's looked solid the last few weeks. He's made some uh, plays with his feet. Uh, he's been generally very accurate, which I always think has been his overall strength um, and being able to find some of those throws in the crossers. And the Giants have started scheming around their offensive line deficiencies uh, like very heavily. Like we have the the least amount of just true dropbacks uh, mm-hmm. the last two weeks. I think there's like been 13 in two weeks. Well, we saw Joe Burrow uh, on Sunday night throw largely to the outside and behind the line of scrimmage. In fact, 12 of the passes were outside behind the line of scrimmage, but he completed all of them for about 6.3 yards per play. It was kind of almost an extension of the run game, but it was definitely ball out quick to try and avoid sacks, uh, avoid some of the problems they've had with continuity on the offensive line. Uh, where is Daniel Jones in terms of a dot? You mentioned some crossers and whatnot. Are we talking really like zero crosses? Like Short crossers, are we talking about some intermediate crosses that he's done pretty well with? Where is he where's he like to put the ball? This past week, it's been it was pushed down the field a little more. Now, I know the Ravens like to run out of too high. This was the first time they played more of a too high defense with Green Bay, where most teams have you know uh ran single high uh, middle field close. Um so this is the and they really got into some of those under center play action. Uh, crossing routes like they ran a lot of Yankee you know the the deep post and then the over so they were able to move those down the field there's also been times where he just missed those throws so he was very conservative in the first two weeks of the season and has pushed the ball down the field a little more but his average depth of target it's when you watch it in game it's not like oh he's just checking it down checking that quick little stuff that stuff's in the offense but it's not there but it's probably lower towards the field because they have not thrown the ball 20 plus yards Barely at all, you know, like almost none. So I think the average depth of target is very low, even though it's not really like your dink and dunk offense uh, per se. So I forget the original point of the question, but it's been they've been working the middle of the field pretty often. 
yeah, look, uh, looks good. We're just, we're just trying to get a, get a, get a read on who Daniel Jones is uh, as a runner in terms of leaving the pocket late. Uh, does he, does he look to do that every player has just been a consequence of what's happening? Kind of tell me where he, where he fits between, you know, Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson in terms of, of, of what he's doing as a runner. Maybe Jalen Hurts is now the most extreme in terms of. Yeah. They've had some design stuff, uh, a little bit of read option. You know, if, if you show them man coverage, you know, they'll, you know, they'll motion out Saquon and run some draw. Uh, they did that a couple times on third down this past week versus Green Bay. Um, but usually it's a consequence of what's happening. You know, he's not, he's not, he's never been, even though he's fast, he's never been the looking to escape early in times, times you've wanted him to be like, Hey, let's move, let's move the platform and, and see what's there. So usually it's a co- consequence of what's happened. I, I've seen it more. So I think I've referenced this three times now, but when they do go under center, they run those two, three man routes and get into, you know, versus Dallas, uh, Dallas played a lot of single high, but their linebackers got great depth and coverage, mm-hmm. you know, so those crossing routes weren't there and their linebackers did a good job of covering it up. And I think he had like 80 rushing yards and those were almost all scramble yards. And uh, he's, you know, he's scrambling for more yards than he has ever in his career. But I think it's more of a consequence of things, maybe not opening up down the field and him tucking it and running. Okay. So he's, when he goes to the mesh point on, on a read play, He's not living in that mesh point. He's not the point of danger where you're. He, he's wait, 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 pull kind of thing and, and and go. He's not. That isn't where he makes his bread and butter like Lamar does. Right. Correct. Correct. Like the when they're running like a read option, it's very much like you know, you know, and crashes keep it, and you know, plays a little hesitant hand at the Saquon, but they haven't ran a ton of that, and and I think more so when they do do it, it's designed to keep it where they'll have. Uh, you know, they'll have uh, uh, the the tight ends, you know, uh, wham from the other side, and then they'll have mm-hmm. a wide receiver crack block, you know, to try and get it out on the perimeter. But they haven't run a ton of that. Um, like I said, most of his rushes runs this year have come from the draw play, actually, which worries me a little bit with his injury history, mm-hmm. um, and then scrambles. All right. All right. Outstanding stuff. Let's move on to the to the receiving core and, and kind of uh, actually let's move on to the offensive line first. Take us through from left to right what the uh, what the Giants have currently. So Andrew Thomas has been a stud. Like I, I think he's in that top tier of tackles in the NFL right now or with Trent Williams out, obviously. But, you know, I, I watch offensive line play around the league during the week and he's right up there uh, with with the best of the best. Uh, his he his quickness he gets out of he pops out of his fires out of his stance quick and really the only way to beat him right now is working some speed to power because his feet are just you're never going to beat him around the corner and he does a good job of pr- protecting that inside post foot um now he can because he, he he his hands come a little late at times because you know he's you know doesn't want you know a defensive ends to use his hands against him you know and some of the better tackles are they'd rather be late with their hands than early um so i he's left his chest exposed to where if you can beat him which really nobody has except for a play here and there it's it's been you know really trying to bull through him but even then he's great at recovering after that it's a mess uh again <laughs> you know left guard ben bredesen he actually was playing like serve oh you get well you guys know brett we know i'm sure somewhat serviceable this last week versus the packers and it wasn't even against kenny clark you know i think his name's tj slayton like really worked him a bunch the titans worked him badly in week one but that was jeff simmons so you gave him a little bit of a pass um but he's been he's been the most like just playable after that john feliciano has been 
very bad. He just doesn't have a strong core. Uh, his feet are a little slow. And Mark Lewinsky, I'm very worried about Calais Campbell if he's lining up on Mark Lewinsky because I've seen bad, bad pass rushers. They like they will almost work this hook move. Like he's got a soft shoulder, and they will literally just take their right arm and just hook it around to his back, and that opens up that shoulder, and it's led to, um, you know, a path to the quarterback. So none of those guys have been good in pass pro. Now in the run game. They've been pretty uh, pretty good. Glowinski can get out and move in some of the wide zone uh, stuff, and they do that a little bit with Saquon. Um, Feliciano, uh, you know, you run some pin and pull. He knows how to get to his angles, but he's never going to be like a force in the run game. Uh, and then Bredesen's been, been average. With Evan Neal, it's been a lot of issues. Like I said, they're playing they're those more aggressive pass sets. You know, they're not setting vertically. And – Getting to that third step in his pass sets, he's just had a hard time getting there. And then so he's overcompensating with leaning and punching. And like, you know, Tank Lawrence worked, uh, you know, that cross chop against him and, and got three sacks against him with the when the Giants played the Cowboys. Um, so you're not going to beat him inside much because of what they're doing. But he's been given, able to give that corner up pretty easily. And in the run game, I think he's been the weakest link, too. There's been a lot of false steps, which leads to him leaning, and, and defensive linemen are going to take advantage of that quickly. And, you know, he's a little top-heavy with that, too. So now he has some really awesome run reps, too, because mm-hmm. of, who you know, his his athleticism, his strength, where he can bully a guy off the ball. But he's just – he's having some rookie struggles right now. Hopefully he can grow out of them the same way Thomas did. Uh, even though his issues are different than what Andrew Thomas was dealing with. Um, so that's been an issue. But honestly, the offensive line, run blocking-wise, they've been fine. Not perfect, but they've been fine. Pass blocking, like I said, the last two games, they have totally went away from straight drop back because they don't really have the wide receivers that are great separators uh, either. And then like they have went to a lot of play-action boot. You know, If you watch the Bears game, I mean, they basically mm-hmm. spammed play-action boot, play-action boot. play. I mean, it was almost Z- – Zone one way, boot the other, right? Yeah, yeah, boot yeah. the other way. And then they do it – you know, they do it naked too. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've they've been really trying to, uh, you know, avoid some of the offensive line issues. And then they'll keep tight ends to chip, running backs in the chip a lot too. Have you guys noticed those strange-looking tall boys of beer, but they're in the bottled water section of your local store? Yeah, that's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, the tall boy can is infinitely recyclable. They're trying to get rid of the plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits of every can to help kill the plastic bottles. Plastic bottles are horrible for the environment, and aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually makes money for the recycling facilities. Now, you want to have some fun? It's amazing how drinking water from a freezing cold can is so refreshing. Love it way more than bottles. And there's new flavors. This is a severed lime I'm drinking right now, where earlier today I woke up my morning, which is a straight mountain water, spring water. Whether you want sparkling or regular, they got you covered. So. Now, it's only 9 a.m. here in my office, and I'm about to do a presentation with about 50 people. So here's what I'm going to I'm going to take this liquid death. I'm going to walk out on stage with it, make my presentation, and see how many coworkers think that I'm drinking a beer while making a morning presentation. Now, go on over to get liquid death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven, or find liquid death at a retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. 
Remember, that's liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. All right. Well, they, they, I think the Ravens defenders probably see a lot of zone block, left naked boot, right. We even, we even have ZBLNBR is exactly the code. My wife and I do the offensive line scoring together. And, and we write that down so many times on the Ravens thing that I hope the Ravens defense is familiar enough with that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it always seems to be a case of does the backside defender get fooled and for how long? If he's, if he's fooled for even an instant, you might have a, you probably get the pass off at least. If he's not fooled, uh, it's going to be somebody right in the quarterback's face immediately. So, uh, and, uh, and how the Giants, so the Bears got fooled every single time. I mean, uh-huh. Daniel Jones, I think, had 60 yards rushing by the, that backside and, mm. you know, crashing down and chasing. You know, he had two touchdowns on the exact same play. They had a, you know, big completion to one of their tight ends. Now the Packers were more disciplined in it, but something the Giants have done to compensate for that is they'll use their, they've run out of a lot of heavy personnel. Mm -hmm. They'll have their tight ends do like really delayed block and releases, not like a quick, like one, two pop, then go like a one, two, three count and then go. Um, and they and can create, still be the level zero target on the boot side. But yeah, create, creating that check down in it if what they're seeing downfield is not there. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good way to do it, especially if, if you I, – I always say when you have a mobile quarterback, the boot's a lot less likely to work because uh, the, the, the edge player is so keyed in. I mean, Lamar Jackson can't, can't get a really free boot for anything because everybody's keyed up on him and the backside defender is the most keyed up of all because he has the biggest containment responsibility yeah but the the uh, uh if you if you're joe flacco at quarterback like the jets do or like the ravens did um he's free to boot all day and and they don't respect it so oftentimes he gets a nice long eat a sandwich kind of boot right and then has three legitimate targets to look at yeah and the giants have also run some basic just under center play action where he's not booting and, and staying in the middle of the pocket and that's created some some time for him to, you know, set his feet and throw. Like I said, like those cross, like those crossing routes versus the Packers. A lot of it wasn't, you know, booting. It was just that under, you know, tight two tight end, twelve personnel under center play action, and then him setting up in the middle of the pocket. Yeah, I was I was looking at that about the Giants. I noticed that they had a very high percentage of twelve personnel relative to Ravens' personal opponent, previous opponents. Ravens very weak at cornerback, and the the trick that other teams have used is to force the nickel play after play after play by putting out 11 personnel. Now, it's hard to separate because that is also the natural bent of the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, for example, or certainly the Buffalo Bills, the last two opponents. Um, but the, the Giants play a mix of of uh, 12 and 11, right? Yes, yes, and they've, they've been very heavy 12. I, I'll be interested to see if the Ravens, because I, I, I was watching their game versus the Bills, because obviously there is some you know crossover in our offense and theirs, even though we, we, are, we are very, like, for example, like a wave concept, that's something that, you know, the Brian Dable loved in Buffalo. We ran it this time, this week out of 12 personnel and, and we got the crossers at 10 yards instead of 15 yards. Um, so they've ran a lot out of 12 personnel. I'll be interested to see if the Ravens are willing to go away from their identity and bring that safety down because the Giants are 31st in passing, second in rushing in the NFL. Like they what they want to run the ball. Um, you know, Saquon's having a stellar season. You, know, you saw the Packers may do it a little more um, than they usually do, um, and I even think they're 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 more stuck in their identity than maybe the Ravens are. Um, so they've just done that, and it's like, hey, if you want to, this will be the second time we play more at a too high safety. But if you want to play at a disadvantaged box, they'll hand it off, um, and then they'll run some of their under center stuff, uh, under center play action stuff out of it too. All right. They've ran a lot, even against the Bears, they ran. 13 personnel, I think almost like 45, 50% of the time. 
I, I, I not they didn't play the Bears. So they played the Packers this last week, and I was just looking through because you can you can get the information now for other teams on the uh, NFL Faster site has the has the personnel by down kind of thing, and so I could just look through it real quickly and and, and get a sense. But they still they had a few thirteen plays against the Packers as well. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think one interesting player for the Ravens is going to be Kyle Hamilton and whether or not they bring him down on a tight end. Kyle Hamilton's had a hard time getting on the field, even though he's the number 14 overall pick, because the Ravens' safety room is deep, and he's made some mistakes when he's been on the field, including up giving up a big touchdown pass to uh, uh, Hill uh, against the Dolphins in Week 2. But he he uh, is, is an ideal guy to be in there, I think, man-on-man against a flex tight end. So uh, the, the question I had was when they when they go to twelve, about what percentage of the time do they flex one guy? Um, what do, do you mean by two, that? Sorry. Well, uh, do they use sometimes you, uh, tight ends use you, you use them in line, and you can use them on both sides, and you can even use a double wing where you have you know two in line guys. But do they usually flex one tight end out of two in twelve? Yeah, they usually line them up on on one side. Now they do some double wing stuff as well, but a lot of the times, especially in the run game, and then when they do run some of that play action is they will wham, uh, you know, Daniel Bellinger, their starting tight end number 82 across, across the line of scrimmage, whether they're trying to run split zone um, and, you know, uh, some of their read option stuff, they do that. So they've been using him kind of as an H back as well uh, in that role. Okay. So this sounds like more of a team that you'd, you'd probably stick with a base formation against 12 on because they don't move their tight end, you know, away from the formation as often to, to start standing up. Like yeah. They're, he's not splitting out very often and, and none of them are really athletic threats anyways. Tanner Hudson, you know, he can do some stuff in the receiving game, but he's kind of the third guy they use anyways. You know, they'll use him on third and long situations when, and they'll flex him out for that. Uh, but yeah, they, they're both they're almost always in line. You know, the only time they're not is on a on a third down. Okay, all right, outstanding stuff. Let's keep moving here. Uh, the wide receiver core. Let's go through them in in terms of uh, who who are the threats. Who do the Ravens need to be concerned about overmatching their uh, their slot corner in particular? So their whole receiving room is injured. Like if the the top four guys on their depth chart coming into the season were Kenny Galladay injured, was playing very badly even when he was healthy. Kadarius Tony injured. Sterling Shepard injured and Wanda Robinson may be back, but rookie slot. Like I think Richie James is, is Richie James has been their slot wide receiver for the entire season. Cause Wanda Robinson has been out, but I, I think he's going to continue to play. He's, he's got decent speed and, and some subtly to his route running and route. sell. he's probably the best route runner that you'll face, but he's not, he's more like they'll use him on those in routes. Uh, you know, he's not, they're not going to ever use him really to stretch the field vertically unless it's, coming across the formation and, and maybe leaking him uh, up the sideline. So he's going to run a lot of, you know, indie routes, you know, quick slants. And then finally they started playing Darius Slayton, who's had mm-hmm. a lot of success in the NFL for a late round pick. And he just was not in the favor of this new regime. Part of it was because he outplayed his draft position. He got that, uh, that like $1.5 million bonus that day three picks can get, but there's no dead cap. Oh. So they were trying to move him. They really wanted to trade him and get a pick for him. Didn't happen. They ended up, he ended up taking a pay cut to stay on the roster, but still weren't playing him. He finally played a good amount last week and had the best receiving game for any Giants player uh, this season. He's got speed. You know, he's not the best route runner in the world, but if you're a single high team and you want to press your corners up, he can he will beat you vertically. You know, versus the Bears, he did. 
And then versus the Packers, who ran too high, play their corners off. Well, he got all like all of his routes were on crossing routes. Um, you know, had a you know a drag on a mess route, but a lot of it was just you know those those over routes. So Slayton's the one that would worry you. David Sills, they play. Uh, I don't get the infatuation with him by the coaching staff, but he kind of one of those guys that does like he's very involved in the blocking game. Size, um, yeah. But he, but they don't even use his size. Like he's just not very good at all. Marcus Johnson, they elevated from the practice squad and actually gave him the most snaps last week being elevated. He kind of fits the same like bo- like type as Darius Slayton, not as fast, but he does have a lot more. He does bring a lot more speed to the field than David Sills. And I would hope they play him over David Sills, uh, you know, and he's an average route runner. But it's uh, they don't have a guy like they, they desperately need a guy. Kadarius Tony continues to. You know, every time you think he's coming back, a new injury pops up with him, and that's been the story with him since he's been on the Giants. So they really don't have a guy that worries you besides Slayton. Like, if, if you press up Slayton, he'll beat you vertically. You play off him, and he can get those crossers. Um, so Slayton, Slayton would be the one guy that you really got to keen in on a little bit. Two teams that don't have a guy. That's a good uh, <laughs> label for the show here then. That's uh, uh, Darius Slayton, uh, Bradbury, and Tony were three names from the Giants who came up during the preseason as players the Ravens might like to acquire. And they could have really used Bradbury, uh, couldn't afford him. Uh, and and that would have that would have made a lot of sense, frankly, given w- where they ended up in terms of their cornerback room. Uh, but uh, in terms of receivers, uh, a lot of people thought there was a chance to get Tony and. I don't know how you find it on Twitter. I just I'm I'm constantly worn down by the fact that people every big name receiver that becomes available, there's ten Ravens fans who want to chirp chirp up on Twitter and and say go get him, do whatever it takes, kind of thing. You know, they oh. they've already got the trade plan, which is four times the draft capital that should be exchanged for the player. You know, <laughs> uh, Darius Slayton was one of the guys, and I thought he could have been had fairly cheap. You know, uh. And, and you you hate to you hate to judge like what other teams might have done it, but maybe a six for a six for a seven kind of a thing. It would have been an end of camp type price, I think, on Slayton. Uh, that it would have been it would be not a conditional seventh in his case, but you know a six for a seven maybe kind of deal. They would have done it. Do you think they would have? I don't know if they would have done a six for a seventh, maybe just a six straight yeah. up or even a seven straight up. But they were trying to like they they were. If he didn't take a pay cut, he would have been cut, and I was very against that because. It's like okay, he's the fifth, fifth or mm-hmm. sixth wide receiver on the depth chart. With the wide receiver room the Giants have, he will be the second wide receiver by week five, and now he's <laughs> the number one guy. Uh, and I think Jason Garrett's scheme held it held basically everybody back besides Sterling Shepard. Um, so I, I still think now he has a huge drop problem. Like he had a ten mm-hmm. percent drop rate last year, which is a huge uh, obvious. Like that's a that's an unreal number for a guy that had some decent volume. Um, but I just thought he was too talented to just cut. Um, mm-hmm. and and young so he's he's the one guy though that you gotta account for I, I think on this Giants offense okay all right very good uh well let's talk about uh the tight ends first of all and then we'll get to Saquon here but the tight ends first yeah so Daniel Bellinger uh fourth round rookie out of San Diego State um he has been a very good blocker you know he's he's done a lot of stuff whether it's being a lead blocker uh, you know, on splits or on as a wham block or, or, you know, backside on the split zone, or there's been times they put him out on the perimeter. He's done a really good job. Um, he's been good at that. And then he, because of his the giants have Chris Myrick, who's a blocking tight end. Like he's basically purely a blocking tight end. And Tanner Hudson 
is a willing blocker, not a good one, but they they don't use him a ton as you know as an inline blocker. Uh, when he's in, he's usually running a route. But because these guys are respected as blockers and the Giants run the ball, it's given them opportunities to leak out and get catches where they're all open. Like they're n- None of them are just going to beat you really well in man coverage. Bellinger has some good route running where if you're running mesh, he'll be good you know, running that sit route in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but most, almost all of their catches have been uncontested or you know, no one near them because they're not respected and they do a lot of block and release stuff. Um, you know, versus the Panthers, uh, Daniel Bellinger, he got a touchdown catch where Giants uh, motion, they motioned Richie James to, to the to the play side. They ran post wheel. Um, and then Bellinger came from the backside in the flat, dumped it off to him. He runs it in for a touchdown uncontested. So there, none of them are guys you need to really game plan for. You just got to be honest with them. If you have, if, if you're lined up in man or in your zone that like, Hey, if they're blocking for one, two, and even three seconds, there's a good chance those guys are going to leak out at some point too. All right. Fair enough. That's uh that's the Nick Boyle way we, we would look at it in Baltimore for Ravens fans here. So um, in, in terms of the rushing attack, uh, Saquon Barkley, a, a fair percentage of the carries to say, to say the least. Yeah. They've, they've given him a ton uh, of the workload and, and the giants run a good mix of zone and gap. Um, that's something that I like that they brought up for Buffalo where their run game is diverse, especially with the Giants not having a, an O-line where it's like you can just go out and run zone and beat guys. Um, he's been good, man. And and people, you, you, you see the highlights around the league if you're not watching them down in, down out, and you see the big plays, and those were missing last year. He didn't have a single run over 50 yards coming off the injury. But I think he's better than what we saw rookie year of Saquon where he had 2,000 yards of scrimmage because – with an improved offensive line, his vision has improved where he's not trying to turn every play into a home run like he did his rookie year. Like he wasn't an, an efficient da- back down in, down out early in his career. He was living off of the home run hits. And he's not taking negative yards. Uh, if a play is busted in front of him, he finds a way to you know one cut and get two yards on it or four yards on it. So he's playing within the run scheme and getting those, those efficient yards, whether it's for even versus stack boxes. Um, but also, if one guy plays out of you know position in their gap, or you're playing with a light box, and you, he he will make you make you pay, you know. Or they they've actually ran they've ran some wildcat, and I kind of hate the wildcat because I just hate telling a defense what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've found ways to do it. Whether you know we're you know cracking the wide receiver, you know taking the tight end and using Matt Breed as a fullback. You know they had a 40 yard run out of it last week, and they've actually ran it somewhat efficiently uh in, at the goal line too so they've done some stuff like that but yeah they're giving him his fair sh- like they they've basically started every game even like last week they went away from it he had his least amount of carries in the game uh in a game 13 he missed mm-hmm. a series with injury um but they want to get him involved in the run game and they're they don't like to get away from it all right uh yeah i'm still looking at his carries there that's a that's certainly a fair amount 31 carries against the bears huh yeah, well, part of that was Daniel Jones got injured and then Tyrod Taylor came in and then got concussed. So mm-hmm. about 10 of those carries were end of game. Like we 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 got to just hand the ball off to Saquon every single play. Mm-hmm. But they still were giving him his workload a ton in that game. And I think he had 22 carries when when uh, Tyrod Taylor got injured about like three minutes into the, to the third quarter, with about like four or five minutes left in the third quarter. But every series after that was a handoff every single time to Saquon. Couple yeah, of check, too. 
I checked in on that on the Packers game, uh, and I saw that a fair uh, Matt Breida was getting a fair amount of carries in that game, or he got a few carries anyway while I was watching. Let me put it that way. Yeah, do you, well, Saquon missed the series with an injury, and then ended up coming back, and he got a few carries in that, and then mm-hmm. they they did some of that uh, that wildcat, and even that last drive of the game where they scored a touchdown on the Saquon mm-hmm. wildcat. Uh, I think maybe he wasn't fully like like healthy so they use him more as a receiver and they would you know they'd run pony where you know you have the two mm-hmm. true running backs in the backfield so they did some of the, I Brita probably got the most carries he got in a game this week but usually it's been about two two to four a game all right uh, outstanding stuff uh, we talked a little bit about personnel groupings any any 21 do they ever use a fullback they use a tight they don't have a true fullback on the roster they'll use Chris Myrick one of their tight ends so um but very much, very rarely do they line up in like an I formation. Yeah, that's they're usually they'll use you know a, a they're one of their tight ends and and surge motion or just wham up on the backside. But very rarely, the closest thing they've had to a fullback is Matt Breida and the Wildcat, honestly. So mm-hmm. no, no fullback. Uh, and in terms of how you see them lining up for the Ravens, how, how would you see them? What would you see them doing differently offensively? So we're going to see a lot of twelve. We're going to see some eleven probably on passing downs, uh, uh, but what, what else? What else might we see? What kind of wrinkles might we see against the Ravens? I don't know if you're going to see. Too, like I, I would expect someone to like. Do your linebackers play with a lot of depth in coverage, or are they kind of biting up on the run because they're playing light? Or the the the, the thing I would say is that the Ravens inside linebackers are the are the pass coverage weakness of the team, and that they have a uh, enormous failure to recognize what's happening between level two and level three. And Josh Bynes can recognize it a little bit, but doesn't have the athleticism to deal with it. And Patrick Queen doesn't have the recognition skills. And then last week happened and Patrick Queen made a play that looked like I was not looking at Patrick Queen, where he dropped back against Joe Burrow to exactly the right spot, which he's never identified. Like any kind of route combinations behind him are invisible, which should work for tight ends for the Giants. But they would he dropped to exactly the right spot and Burrow threw the ball right into his face mask. Uh, for an interception, so uh, it, it it couldn't have worked out better. But that's the first time we've ever seen that, honestly. So I think that that uh, you know there will be an opportunity to to deal with the linebackers. So I think the Giants, because and and the Ravens play with a lot of light boxes. I don't think there's going to be they're not. I don't think they're going to throw anything wild at that wild at them. I think it's going to be a lot of heavy formations and trying to run out of that mm-hmm. and some probably some more pin and pull stuff. Um, in the passing game, they've. They've thrown a lot of different things, and they've they've really changed week to week based on what type of defense they're playing. Where, uh, you know, this past week they ran those two man routes in the crossers to Darius Slayton. I would probably expect some similar things like that against the Ravens, who I you know play a similar style of defense as as Green Bay. And that was the first time they faced it. Um, they've tried to run like three three you know uh, three level reads. They've tried to get into flood a lot. Um, I, th- I think we could see that. So, like, here's my course. So, the ra- the Packers' corners and safeties out of shell were very, like, they don't jump and bite on a lot of plays, you know, which left the underneath stuff. But a lot of times you see the teams in two highs and their safety is biting on on an indie route and it leads open up posts. Are are the Ravens more I, – I know more – I was listening to your podcast. I think Marcus Williams is out who yeah. looked to be playing really well. Like, are they playing more aggressive out of those, you know, two high safety looks, or are they more just like leaving everything in front of them? 
Uh, I'd say a mix. Um, you know, they've, we can talk a little bit about this when I, when I, uh, you know, get guest on your show, but I, I'd say that, that, uh, they have three safeties that they really like on the team. They really have like have had four before Marcus Williams went down. Very unusual in that respect of multiple guys who could play free safety potentially. And they, ha- in theory, they might have three, but in looking at Hamilton now, since he's coming to the league, I think he's going to be more of a Derwin James in the box type rather than a, uh, back end guy. And that's the upside of where he can be. He's, uh, he's got some limitations in terms of his recognition right now that are really hurting him. Uh, but, but I think, I think that, that, uh, uh, you know, they've done less in terms of ru- rushing off blitzers and they've done very little of it from safety so far. So they're, they're trying to use the safety as a coverage player and trying to blitz from inside linebacker. more. Yeah. So you, you've talked about some of their line, like mesh has been a very, a go-to third down call. For the Giants, I can see them doing that a lot with some of the descriptions of the linebackers that you've had. Um, and something I've noticed I've really liked about Mike Kafka and the Giants offense is they will they will put a look on film and then they'll build off of it. Like, you know, they run a lot of mesh last week. They turned those two mesh players and turned those into whip routes. Mm-hmm. Um, when they ran some of those crossers to Slayton, they, you know, they showed that look and then he puts his foot in the dirt and pops back out and was able to get those. So they will put some stuff on film in the first half and then try and build off of it based on on the way uh, you guys are playing them. All right. You're listening to Bobby Skinner, by the way, of Talking Giants. I should say that more often during the show. Outstanding stuff, Bobby. Let's flip over to the defense here. Uh, the first thing I was like, and I like in a general sense to understand, how, how do they like to line up on pass and rundowns, assuming the personnel is the same? So if it's if it's 21 and 12 we'll be talking about and really there's a lot of 13 for the Ravens but let's say the choices are kind of 21 and 12 how do they like to line up they run a lot more base than probably more most teams around the league now they probably they run more nickel you know everybody in the NFL does now though Mm -hmm. but there's some teams who run almost you know some teams run no nickel and some teams run you know five percent uh you know uh, you know 95 percent of nickel so they play out of base a, a good amount um and they'll also do the big nickel, which I remember you telling me about mm-hmm. when we hired Wink Martindale, where they'll run uh, Dane Beltland out there and play him deep, and then they'll bring Julian Love and Xavier McKinney towards the line of scrimmage. So they run a lot of uh, stuff out of base um, with two with three D linemen, but mostly mostly it's out of nickel. But when they put three uh, two D linemen, they've been lining up Dexter Lawrence as the nose tackle a lot. Um, and then they'll put the three technique to the side of the back when they're in shotgun. Um, so just, you know, keeps it keeps you from being able to double down to the linebacker a lot on on those front side shotgun runs. Um, so but they've they've been playing on on just like first and second down, not third downs. That's what they've been doing. Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. Are they much of a dime team? Do they try and get linebackers off the field on third down? Yeah, big time. I mean, I know you you to, you told us all about it and it's you you don't realize it till you see it, but they've ran a lot of dime with Tony Jefferson as that dime backer. Um, and with Wink, and and you did a good job telling us, but there's obviously a reputation around the league of Wink Martindale. He's just he's gonna blitz everybody every play. That's mm-hmm. not him. It's more so just the the threat of a blitz every play on those third downs. Like we've ran covers this past week versus the Packers, we ran cover uh, zero four times. That was more times than they ran it all season combined, I believe. I think they ran it three times uh, in the first four games of, of the week. But on third down, they have the threat of cover zero on, on, on a lot of those plays. And I think they'll see it more versus Lamar than we have uh, versus other quarterbacks. You know, they haven't they haven't sent it a ton 
until they faced Aaron Rodgers. They played a lot of bad quarter, quarterbacks the first four weeks of the season. Um, so just a lot of dime back where they'll pit Tony Jefferson down, Julian Love down, McKinney down, have all three of those guys on the line of scrimmage. And uh, sometimes they'll send all three of those guys and then pop out Jihad Ward and one of our other outside linebackers to, you know, get some hands on what would probably be the hot read, you know, like mm-hmm. those, those slants, so hit, hit them on those tight aligned receivers. Um, so you've seen a lot of that, but, uh, but they've lived out of single high cover three and cover one. Like I, I chart the coverages every week on my own mm-hmm. and it's almost, it's, it's on first and second down and, and even third down. It's basically, they're living out of cover one and cover three. Now, something they've done a lot too, though, is, like past week versus Aaron Rodgers, the first half of the game, they went with uh, light boxes and then two high safety, but they would rotate the safeties either right before the snap or, or post snap um, and have them buzz down. They didn't do that a ton. Versus the Panthers, they played a little more. Like versus the Panthers, they played almost only three safeties throughout the game. Um, I don't, I don't know if we'll do that versus the Ravens because you guys are such a great running team. Um, uh, Although three three safeties is not a terrible choice at all if you try to cover tight ends either, and the Ravens flex their tight ends. Yeah, it's it's going to be Wink Martindale's thrown different wrinkles in every single week. So, mm-hmm. but they've lived out of cover three and, and cover one uh, all year, you know. And with the blitzes have been like five man fronts type of things, uh, you know. Instead of they're not they're not they'll they'll throw those exotic looks on third down, but first and second down, uh, they're not reinventing the wheel. It's good to hear Wink is is doing well. I I kind of thought he got a. I wish they. I kind of wish they had extended him. I know they wanted to go with a young guy that they really believe in. If it pays off, it'll really pay off potentially in terms of years of of uh, time with the organization and whatnot. But uh, uh, he's he's uh, had his problems. Um, not everything has been perfect. Certainly, they've given up a, a, a in every game at home. They've given up a ten point lead or more. You know, so so that's. Been, been very ugly and and uh people are are wondering this team the, the ravens very much built to play dime defense and and get turnovers and they haven't been doing that at the at the um they haven't been successful in dime i should say to close out games the way they have needed to be so that's been unfortunate so far and wink so we were i was a little worried about wink coming over mm-hmm. because you know he made a comment when they asked about like why was the Ravens defense you know uh, pass defense you know ranked thirty second and he made a comment don't get your corners DoorDash on DoorDash corners. and my reply to that was like well we got them on Uber Eats man like we our corners <laughs> are 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 an issue I, I I would say the coaching staff has with the defense there's obviously a lot of great scheme stuff that Wink Martindale is doing but I really think they have every most of these guys playing to the top of their potential you know they've got good position mm-hmm. coaches and and. You know, Drew Wilkins is the crossover from Baltimore, but they kept the same DB coach who did a really good job the last couple of years. Brought in Andre Patterson from the Vikings as their D-line coach, who is very well respected. Um, and they're just communicating very, very well. You know, when I did my film review on this past game, there was just like they were great at reading what Aaron Rodgers checks were. You know, mm-hmm. they the Packers brought in an extra tight end. Uh, you know, they motioned him in. They box is still light. Rodgers checks to a run immediately. Tay Crowder signals, Xavier McKinney comes down to the box, and now you got a a loaded box against the run. Uh, when they ran those cover zero looks, they knew what Rodgers was doing when he checked a pass on that last play of the game. You see the linebacker and, and Julian Love pointing at the corner. Mm-hmm. Like, he's coming. He's coming. Back shoulder, back shoulder. Um, so they've done a good job communicating and playing to their strength because their corners have been an issue. And and it like the corners were an issue outside of Adore Jackson coming into the year, and those guys have gotten injured 
too. Like they, they were playing two waiver claims at the end of the game versus Green Bay. Wow. Okay. So uh, definitely, I, you know, one of the better defensive coordinators in Ravens history, and that's a storied group to include, you know, players, DCs like Marvin Lewis and Rex Ryan and and, and whatnot. But I think he might be the the, the third uh, best they ever had. I really loved his adaptability from game to game. I'm, I'm glad he's found a new spot. I'm glad it's not in the AFC, frankly, because uh, then that would create a you know whole revenge setup. But it's good uh, good that he's doing it with the Giants. Uh, let's keep moving and talk a little bit about the. I always like to talk about the defensive line. One of the main things I want to know is, do they really rotate for for uh, snap conservatism? Because that's something Wink did in Baltimore, or are they more of a uh, rely on a few guys to be in there for a lot of downs? So Leonard Williams has been out the last couple of games, um, and they've rotated everyone. But Dexter Lawrence is playing career highs, like over ninety percent of the snaps, and wow. he's lived he's lived at about sixty five in his career. Even being a good player. You know, he's li- like he's lived at about 65 percent. But when he went off the field, like it was just teams were able to run, run very easily against us, you know, and he he does a great job flowing with the zone and disengaging and closing off gaps. So he's playing about 90 percent. Leonard Williams may be back this week. I don't think he would be a full go, but I still if they play him, I still think he's getting 60 percent. And then Justin Ellis has his snap. Uh, uh, you guys know Justin Ellis, his his role has increased the past couple of weeks. Um, and they played Nick Williams, who's kind of a, a journeyman free agent who, um, you know, he's not going to he's not going to get blown off the ball or anything, um, but he's he's a playable defensive tackle. So they've rotated those guys around Dexter Lawrence. But Dexter Lawrence has been playing, you know, every almost every single snap. All right. So a uh, good group of defensive linemen. Is there a do they have a does you you mentioned that uh, you mentioned Leonard Williams was the guy who had moved in at nose right for part of the year so far? Dex, Dexter Lawrence has, Dex has Lawrence played. Is, okay. Moved. So he he played, even though he's 345 pounds, he had played almost solely three tech um, his first few years in the league. And we, and this is actually something they mentioned in the offseason. And we thought maybe it was just them answering like a leading question. But something we wanted to see was him play more nose tackle. And they've let him do that. And he's he's thrived in that role. And then Leonard Williams, when, when before Leonard Williams got injured, he plays mostly like that four eye. But there's even times when Ocean or when Kayvon and Aziz were out the first couple of games, they would line him outside the tackle um, to, you know, to stop the run. All right. So Dexter Lawrence is uh, obviously this is going to vary by, by how the Ravens set up, but if, if he's in that uh, one tech uh, shaded to the left side for, as the offense views it, then he could be in a very, uh, well, actually probably the three tech is the more dangerous player because he could come across the face of the guard and then get, get harms extended into a, into a relatively smallish center in Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, so it's, it's, that's been something we, he's been off balance in the first couple of games been better, but I, but I've, I've been wondering like how will teams attack that left a gap from the Ravens perspective uh, to, to rush the passer? I'm sure Wink has been looking at film and trying to figure that out. Yeah. I, I would probably see him lined up more so on the left. He, you know, he, you know, like these guys play both sides. Mm-hmm. I've probably seen him a little more on left guard because we know Kevin Zeitler well, really well. I don't know how well he's doing this year, but mm-hmm. very good in pass pro. Um, but like you said, Tyler Linderbaum's a little smaller player. I saw a stat. I know center stats can be misleading, but like mm-hmm. no pressures, no QB hits. I don't know if the, that stat really shows how well he's playing or not. Um, but with that size differential, I could see them trying to attack him. Yeah, they try and usually give you a, a, a sacks only, and it doesn't really tell the story at center very effectively. Uh, he's he's been 
uh, pretty good is, is what I would say so far. He is not ready to necessarily go to his first Pro Bowl, uh, but he certainly played better. He's had three penalties, which is second on the team. He's had, uh, uh, you know, decent pass protection stats. The, the main troubling thing is uh, when he's played bigger men the first couple of weeks of the season, and particularly against the Jets and Quinn and Williams, he got a little bit off balance in terms of, uh, you know, being up on one foot. Um, and, and he, at his, with his arm length, he has to do a lot of things to try and um, make up for size deficiencies. I can see the Giants probably trying to attack him like that because I think Dexter Lawrence and Quentin Williams are, are comparative players. Um, both came out out the same year. Uh, Quentin Williams was much better than him, I think, the last two years, but Dex has taken a step up this year. All right. Well, great. Let's talk. Let's move up to the second level, talk about the linebackers uh, and uh, who the uh, who the Giants have there. And you can include the edge guys there, too. So I'm very worried against the Ravens because you guys run a lot of motion and pulling and stuff. and at least Tay Crowder, who's our Mike linebacker, his eyes are very slow, very slow. Like I, I've noticed with him, he reads the back instead of the guards a lot of times. And if you watch that Cowboys game, they just got out on the edges on us like crazy. Now, Jalen Smith being put in, who plays fast and aggressive, has actually added a little spark to it because he just he, – he like he sees he sees and goes. Like, you know, he's not sitting there, you know, like I think Tay Crowder is – a go until you know type linebacker Jalen Smith is just a go type of linebacker um so I think that could be an issue with what the Ravens do and involving Lamar Jackson in the run game so so much obviously um so I I think it could be a a matchup where the Ravens can really get the best of those two guys and then on the edge Jihad Ward I mentioned him he's been really good setting setting the edge um like he's been a very solid run defender he's been better than what I thought he was going to be now he's a zero in the pass rush Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was like actually dead last in pass rush win rate, even though I don't really love that stat. But uh, he's 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 been a zero as a pass rusher. Kayvon Thibodeau, um, I think he needs to be better diagnosing the run when they do get outside the tackles. Like I've seen him get crack blocked by wide receivers or tight ends a ton when they go outside outside. Um, but as as a pass rusher, he's been he's. He doesn't look fluid yet, where it's a lot of just working power, or if he's going to go outside in, it's it looks like it's pre-planned before the snap. Um, so he's not really like stringing his moves together very well. But in the pass rush, like he can push that shoulder. He's got good get off, and he works some good speed to power. He's just kind of got to work on some of his hand usage and and dipping around the corner a little better. And Azizo Jalari, he. Was injured, came back, and then got injured again. I don't, I don't know if he's going to play this week, but he looked to take a step forward. You know, mm-hmm. he's always been good with his hands, good working around the corner. The question with him is, can he add some power to his game? Like he didn't have that uh, his rookie year or even his last year at Georgia. There, it, it just power was lacking from his game. He looked like he put on some weight and added some strength to his game, uh, but it's just we we've only gotten to see a game and a half of him because he's he's he got in. He was on the pup list to start the season then got injured in the preseason and then got injured again uh, after during week four. So I don't, I don't know if you're going to see him much. Okay. So bummer eight sacks in his rookie year uh, definitely looked like a talent up and coming. Yeah. And, and he was never dominant, you know, like it's the sacks didn't really reflect like a guy who's winning pass rush reps down in, down out, but he did a good job of taking advantage of playing bad tackles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, he was lacking that power, you know, where to win, to win down out, down out uh, as an edge rusher or be one of the better ones in the league, you just got to have power to your game. To me, I, th- I think it's 
obviously speed like speed and power are those those prerequisites and he didn't have that strength uh, but he did bulk up a little bit and look like he added to that and and refined some his hands and, and footwork too all right uh, outstanding let's uh move on to the secondary take us through the guys there and uh i'm particularly interested to hear who you think is going to be playing at corner this week <sighs> that's tough uh we got a lot of guys on the injury report i think adore jackson will play He's been outstanding. Besides some a matchup versus CeeDee Lamb, I mean, he's been a shutdown corner. Like like top last year, he was top five in yards per target, yards per catch, um, and then moved into this man coverage scheme and has done really, really well. Um, I don't know if Rashad Bateman's going to play, but even if he did versus Dory Jackson, I wouldn't be too worried about him from the Giants' perspective. Outside of that, Fabian Moreau, who was injured, I, th- I think he's going to play. He's done a, a fairly solid job. You know, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he knows he plays with good footwork and technique uh, and and has, has some pretty good route recognition. You know, versus the Bears, he had a couple of nice pass breakups uh, on some, like, post-wheel stuff and, and another another one. Uh, he's, he's just playable, not really good. Uh, and then at cor- Nickel Corner, who's the guy who's been the healthiest, is the one I worry about in Darnay Holmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's... He had to play, you know, he moved from outside the nickel once he got to the NFL just because he can't deal with size. And he has really struggled on, you know, one double moves. Uh, but even like the simple stuff, you know, like deep, deeper down the field routes, like Kyle Phillips, who was like a six-round wide receiver this year, got a, got the best of him versus Tennessee. So I, I worry about him in the nickel because he does struggle in man coverage. But to his credit, he he will get beat initially, but he does have a good ability to recover if that ball's not right. You know, if that ball's not right on the receiver at the break of a route. But if you throw, if you test him deep, there's been a couple of times where he should have been called for defensive pass interference or defensive holding, and they didn't call it. And there's been the times where he has gotten. And so he's probably been the weakest link in the corner group. Hey, uh, uh, Dory Jackson, with the Ravens not really having a true number one receiver, or in a lot of cases, really not having a, a you know a top wide receiver of any sort, or even a number two. But is he somebody who might move in on Mark Andrews? Uh, other teams have been doing that. Uh, we've seen with uh, uh, Sauce Gardner in Week One, for example, and and uh, uh, Uze against uh, against the Bengals. No, I, I think you'd see him on the outside, and they've done some different things with him where they've had him you know follow a guy, whether it's moving like following C.D. Lamb into the slot. And then week two versus the Panthers, we thought was very interesting because the door is more of a speed guy. They they put him on Robbie Anderson and left our, our lesser corners on D.J. Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for Mark Andrews, I, Xavier McKinney, we, you know, we talked about him mm-hmm. in the start. He's kind of been the jack of all trades. Uh, and he had great stats last year, had a great you know second year. But we said coming into the year, knowing what we know about with Martindale's, I think he's going to be really good still, but not put up the stats. And so like he's played every different role week two, they put him on Christian McCaffrey duty all game long. Like he Mm -hmm. was, you know, and man on Christian McCaffrey, the whole game. There's been other weeks where he's played the free safety, the entire, for the majority of the game. And then, you know, this past week they played him down a little more and played Julian love as the free safety. So wink has been moving these safeties around. I think McKinney will probably be getting, because they want to play man coverage, getting the most of the Mark Andrews hmm. uh, uh, responsibility. I would have so not guessed that. Boy, when you have a, a you know a, a really uh, top end single high free safety, and McKinney has outstanding range, I would I, w- I would want him 
back there, but I would so have not guessed he would have been the player of, of all the Giants DBs that would have been the last guy to pick. Yeah, and and they'll probably just put Julian Love on him a little bit, like, but mm-hmm. it's uh they've used him in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, like they've really moved him all over the field, and especially with some of the weaker like they have put him at free safety a lot, uh, you know, when they were playing the Cowboys because they mm-hmm. have some of those wide receivers that uh, can make you move, and he was playing over the top on those guys, but because I don't think the Ravens wide receivers are going to be the most respected group we play. Yeah. Um, and you'd have a guy, I think they might just try and line up best on best. Um, you know, wh- whether it is Chris McCaffrey week two. Um, and I, th- I think you'll get him on Mark Andrews this week, but I, I mean, that's not a guarantee, but that was, that's something that I've thought that they might do. All right. Outstanding stuff, Bobby. Thanks for spending so much time with us for, for the matter. Give me one player that you think really matches up well against the Ravens. You can do one offense, one defense, if you like, but you just do one overall. If you, if you like, who's the player that, uh, that really will give the Ravens fits. That's tough because even though the Giants are four and one, it's like, we're still pretty devoid of talent in a lot of spots. Um, I'll say Adore Jackson. You know, we just talked about him. I think he will play really well and whoever he's lined up on, I can see being shut down. Um, you know, he's, you know, for nine games, he was averaging uh, one catch allowed for like eight yards. Wow. Um, so on the defensive side, on the offensive side, um, is it cheating to say Saquon Barkley because you guys play with such light boxes? <laughs> like, no, but, you know, perfectly fine. It's the obvious answer, but I think Saquon Barkley would probably, I mean, he's been week in, week out, been, uh, been able to, you know, he's leading the NFL in scrimmage yards. Um, so I say that, but I guess my sleeper would be Darius Slayton uh, with mm-hmm. some of the cornerback struggles that you've described and then playing a little more of that two shell. Maybe Darius Slayton having back-to-back good games. All right. All right. Fair enough. Bobby, outstanding. Thank you for spending all this time with us. Really appreciate it. Tell people again where they can talk football with you. If you want to listen to our preview show, it's, it's you know, talking without a G, talking Giants. Ken will be on that show this Friday. So I think that'll be a good listen for you. Um, and whenever I do other non-giant shows i always tell them search jm football on youtube and that's where we do some film breakdowns and stuff uh one thing i like to do is the four best runs of the week like lamar jackson versus miami was on there on on that long one uh so that's where you know we put our draft content and just our our general nfl content um or you just follow me on twitter at bobby skinner underscore and I, i post everything i do on there all right. Outstanding, Bobby. Thanks for coming on again. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, I really want to hear from you. A uh, 25-minute topic on the Ravens that you're passionate about. I have time for two of these in season now, and I'd love to do about one per week if I can. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. Bobby, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.